Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This is Gina Bellaria. Welcome to This is Civity Radio Show. Civity helps people in communities build a culture of respect and empathy across difference. And our interviews explore how people across the country and world are doing this in their communities. Today, we welcome Jacob Hess. He's director of Village Square, and he's here today to talk about the new All Sides Dictionary. Jacob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gina. It's great to have you here. So first, let me ask you, um, tell us a little bit more about the Village Square and the work you guys are doing to pull people together um, across divides. Sure. The Village Square was actually started in Tallahassee, Florida, um, by people on uh, disagreeing about politics. And Liz Joyner is the national director. I'm uh, directing the Utah chapter that we started here. There's chapters in California and uh different places in the country. And our, our belief is that civility doesn't have to taste like broccoli. It doesn't have to be this heavy civic duty that people do just because they're supposed to. We can actually have some fun with it. So we, we try to plan events that are, uh, have social, uh, that feel social and fun. We basically trick liberals and conservatives into the same room and throw a party and have panel discussions and lots of different programming that helps people in different communities, in our case, Salt Lake City, have opportunities to really socialize with the other people. In so many instances, it's hard for people to find those opportunities. They're not happening as much at church or in schools or, you know, we kind of cluster with the people that think like us. So we're trying to be one of those settings where people can come into the village square, the public square, and talk about anything. Um, We also emphasize that this is not a liberal thing or a conservative thing, but very much American. We quote George Washington's book of civility at every event, just to remind people that our heritage is nice leverage to bring us together. That's wonderful. And, you know, you made a good point in there that there are fewer and fewer natural spaces where people are coming across those who think differently or who have different experience or backgrounds than they do, Um, whereas we used to, as you say, find that in our churches, in our schools, in our communities, uh, walking down the street. That's not the case anymore. We've we've certainly isolated ourselves, and and, and absolutely we're not finding that online, um, where echo chambers seem to be stronger than ever. And when we do get a whiff of disagreement or things, you know, other, we, we can block people, we can unfriend them, we can, we can do that kind of thing. And so we, we're getting into this space where, where um, the, the default seems to be, I don't want to hear it. And so the work you're doing is, is pretty incredible to try to push against that. Thank you. I'm also a partner with Living Room Conversations. We try to do the same kind of thing on a smaller scale in people's own homes. Mm-hmm. you know, six people at a time. So, um, yeah, amen to everything you, you said. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so now Village Squares and Living Room Conversations are doing incredible work. And you recently come out earlier this month with this All Sides Dictionary. And so I'd love to learn more about the All Sides Dictionary. What, what is this and why did you do it? Yeah, I appreciate your interest. Um, this is an all-volunteer group of about 30 dialogue professionals who have decided it's just time to put this thing together. It's been talked about for a number of years by a number of people. Oh, we need a we need a term dictionary. And of course, by that, they didn't mean a dictionary to, you know, usually when we talk about dictionaries, it's about establishing the right definition or what the word really means. Mm-hmm. But of course, anyone in the dialogue deliberation world knows words can mean so many different things and have can evoke different emotions and uh, a word that's a good word for progressives like social justice can be a bad word for conservatives and a word like biblical that rings as a positive thing for religious folks can feel uh, very not so much for, right. for folks who are not religious. So, so we, um, we sat down and picked about 400 words that we thought were especially contested in our sociopolitical discourse. Mm-hmm. And we also were intentional about gathering in these 30 people across all the disagreements. Because I think one of the problems is when people, you know, people try to do something to help and they create ideologically uniform collaboration. Mm-hmm. And, and inevitably, because of how, you know, psychology is showing how our deep convictions influence what we believe and see and do, we have research studies that that feel like grand experiments and confirmation bias. And we wanted to make sure that whatever came out of this was, you know, we're walking the walk. And so right. we span every disagreement from capitalist to socialist, <laughs> religious to non-religious, various Types of religion, uh, liberal, conservative, green, libertarian, anarchist, um, Marxist, Mormon, gay, straight, transgender, you know, like, I don't think we have a transgender member yet, but we have uh, queer, openly gay. Um, and that has been so fun because essentially what we did is we said, okay, uh, between the 30 of us, we have literally. Uh, we, we tallied it up. Hundreds of years of experience doing dialogue facilitation. I mean, one person on our team has been doing this for 40 years, and there's just 30 people who have lots of experience. So between coming from our experience, let's try to map out the different senses and meanings of the term social justice. Like, what does that mean to progressives versus conservatives? And instead of trying to establish, like, all the nuances of what it you know, this comprehensive encyclopedic entry, we're going to try to do it short enough that to just capture the uh, really meaningful divergence in in meanings across sociopolitical groups. Okay, so can so you give me an example? Sure. Uh, I mean, we use... Socio- we use... Um, uh, climate change denier as okay. an example. So this is a term that was coined about 10 years ago in a progressive publication 
kind of as a sort of an insult originally mm-hmm. to uh, people that might question sort of like, well, you're like a Holocaust denier, you know? Yeah. Holocaust cost denier being completely absurd, ridiculous. And um, it has been caught up into the conversation and really become a word that people just use um, descriptively just uh, without trying to be insulting. So for progressives, it's kind of a descriptive, non-controversial term to describe um, someone with challenging the, the consensus science, whereas for conservatives, it can feel very much still alive as an insult. Okay. So that's, that's an example of very different meanings and also different emotional responses. And you could say the same thing about biblical, similar things about social justice. My, um, you know, my progressive friends often talk about social justice as if we're all in agreement about this. And, and I think it, it can be illuminating to say, well, actually, not everyone is in agreement about that. Some people see that as kind of a threatening word, just like biblical that many religious people are like, wow, if it's biblical, it's good, and we can accept it. Well, not so quick. <laughs> that can that can feel like a cudgel to people in the gay community, you know. Um, so that's really how we proceeded. Is is one person would draft what what they thought was a good beginning map, with a goal of keeping it to like three paragraphs. And then others would weigh in, and we had massive Google Docs, and people would would share the time that they could. And people had their own suggestions of words, and other people were like, well, I don't think we need that word. So the, the selection of words was also a collaborative process. Mm-hmm. And over time, as more and more revisions of words happened, it was kind of a dialogic writing experience where the revision process itself was a dialogue and we'd pose questions to each other and say, well, I, this is nice, but we're missing this perspective. And and it's kind of gone that way to the point that when we released it um, uh, a week after the election, we made really clear that this these entries are unfinished. They're, they're, they continue to be improved. Mm-hmm. We have a comment system at the end of every entry where people can share thoughts. And we're using the worldtable.co. They're, they're a new comment system where people can rate how helpful or thoughtful or insightful a comment was, kind of um, taking away the troll threat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because trolls basically uh, rate themselves out of existence. <laughs> You've set a standard. So right. if, somebody's, if somebody's just there to drop bombs, other people... Um, hold them accountable and say, well, that was, you know, anyway, and and people who are especially thoughtful can be validated and appreciated. So we have that in place. We're getting lots of great comments already. So our team now is shifting towards hearing the comments, continuing to improve the entries, and adding terms that are current. For instance, we're at, we're, we're tweaking voting fraud, voting integrity, voting, um, kind of words around that, since mm. that's being talked about a lot. And I have on my notes to <laughs> <laughs> to draft entries around rigged and some of these terms that come up, like, what does it mean to be corrupt? You know, what does that actually mean to people? 
Oh, that's so interesting. So this is a, yeah. this is really I I love that it's um, a living dictionary, and it it, it 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 so many things are in my head right now. But it, there's that great book, The Professor and the Madman. I don't know if you've read it, but it's about the creation of the first dictionary, and um, how people wow. would, yeah people it's a it's an amazing book, and people would send in. Uh, you know, write in like, oh, this word. And, and so they had to sort of standardize word spellings and this and that. And there's this one person who was in an asylum who submitted the most entries, word entries. Um, wow. And it's a pretty incredible story. But, but as you're talking, I'm thinking about how collaborative that process was of, of just, of just, you know, accepting from everybody, Hey, what words are you using? What are their meanings? And it's almost as if you're, you are in some sense recreating this and really going back to the people to talk about, you know, what kind of discourse is happening in your community? What kind of discourse is happening between people? And, and because you have one way of engaging in your community and then we see online and on television and on the radio and, and, in other media, uh, you know, other communities, we need to not necessarily standardize this stuff, but really discuss how different people are defining and living. A famous Eastern teacher once said, uh, a journey of a thousand miles can begin with one step. And one of our taglines we played around with is, uh, you know, the conversations we need to have in this country can begin with one word. Sometimes like, what does Black Lives Matter mean to you? Right. Like, like real... When I hear somebody ask a question of real curiosity, for me, it's one of the most beautiful things. It's like, I just love it. Like, there's something about real curiosity that's just, uh, uh, it's like a sunset to me. Mm. I just want to take a picture of it. And so we're we're inviting that. And and it very much, every entry very much has an invitation toward dialogue. So these are not just clinical, sanitized, sort of like neutral, God's eye view very much a, at the end, we share examples of, of dialogues that have been done. So for instance, the abortion entry at the end, we talk about the Public Conversations Project dialogues in Boston after the, uh, uh, the murder of the abortion doctor. Mm-hmm. So we give examples for people to sort of seed the ground. And then we pose questions to play with. Just here's some questions to take home. And so we're trying to do a number of things to so that each entry can be a little, we kind of call it a gateway drug for dialogue. <laughs> yeah, trying to be like, so cool. <laughs> you know, so somebody's only interested in gun rights. They're only interested and they're like, well, well, that's the only thing I care about. Well, if they go to our entry and read gun rights or gun control, they're going to see lots of stuff that invites them in to a, a place where they're actually exploring. We, we're playing around with putting cartoons, Ooh. political cartoons that illustrate the two sides uh-huh. because and and bumper stickers i'll tell you what gina the the genre of political bumper stickers is so fun yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know how, like these pithy examples that that distill down like the ideas and so so we're trying to do different things to sort of That's so cool. open the space so yeah. somebody's like oh okay and our goal might be that somebody comes away saying oh i didn't realize that people saw it so different, just sort of unsettling some of the fundamentalism that all sides yes. fall into. Yes, absolutely. And, and and I can see that, like, if you go looking for your definition and you, oh, this is how other people say it, that just, I can see how that might bring it alive and might 
bridge divides in a way that we can't we haven't otherwise been able to do. Um, I'm going to take a quick break, uh, and when we come back, I want to explore more about more about the the definitions and the drawing people in, and I also want to sort of discuss um, echo chambers and dog whistles and how the All Sides Dictionary might play into that. Um, okay. So, so you're listening to this is Civity Radio. We're speaking with Jacob Hess with the Village Square. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. I do want to talk to you a little bit about echo chambers and um, and dog whistles because as you were explaining the dictionary and the um, and the way you are trying to define words that are being used in different communities or in different factions or different silos, uh, you know, there's a lot of there has been a lot of talk about this whole idea of dog whistles, whereas a candidate candidate might say terms that only a specific uh, demographic or a group would know. Uh, I've heard it most often utilized when you're discussing the religious right a candidate might use. Like I heard Donald Trump say, oh, she has hate in her heart. And, and I, you know, I know that that's a, sort of a dog whistle term for, um, for people who are uh, fundamentalist Christians, uh, you know, th- that, that uh, elicits a certain, a certain uh, image image or, or definition for them. And I'm wondering, ha, ha, was any discussion done about the whole dog whistle thing and how to sort of break that open? Or, or what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I'd love to learn with you about that. We, we, we talked about code words mm-hmm. um, that kind of signal this person is safe or, um, you know, if you, if you know how to use the code words. But the dog whistles is super great example. I mean, tell me if this connects at all. but. Sure. The word immoral, mm-hmm. amoral, and moral, yeah. have, they have been used by folks um, on the right um, and, uh, in a way that feels a bit weaponized sometimes. You know, like, morality is what we have, and those people are the immoral, amoral ones, right. you know? And, and certainly, it's, it's, it's part of our interest in this project to take a word that's been weaponized or become a dog whistle or become a real sort of uh, uh, divider. And I'd say climate change denier might be one of those. Yeah. Um, and, and make enough space not to like, not to put it on a list that we shouldn't use. The goal is not to like, okay, you know, these are terms we should never use, but it's more like, hmm, do we understand that when, when conservatives say moral, immoral, this is what, um, my atheist friend Phil would hear in that. Right. And our hope is that if people understand, just, just understand, like, oh, another human being who is thoughtful and maybe even good-hearted is experiencing this word in a very different way. Hmm, maybe then I can use it in a different way. Maybe, maybe that changes how we share it. And I certainly, you know, I've been involved in religious conservative LGBT dialogue, and I can tell you my... my um, gay activist friend Tracy is a super example of like she because we've been in this conversation for so long together she like she catches herself one one day she said you know I'm realizing Jacob that we we use marriage equality all the time but after hearing how it sounds to religious folks it's like giving me pause you know and so we start to almost self it's just the self-awareness that changes how we because we, I don't think most human beings want to be as aggressive as as the words sometimes um, are set up to be. You know, yeah. I don't think we really want to 
cudgel and and badger and bully and 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 we may not just simply realize how these words just have a life of their own sometimes yeah that's a great point and and i think we've gotten so used to being ready to be offended or you know especially when we know where someone's coming from if it's different and yeah we infuse all of this meaning inside something that probably wasn't meant but the other side has no idea and so when a response happens or a reaction the other side's like, what? Well, then you too, and you must be. And then all of a sudden, we're not talking. And, and you know, it would be great if the default was, hey, you said something that offends me a little bit, but I know you didn't mean that, so let's talk about it. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or, Gina, help me understand what you mean. You use this word. It's yeah. interesting. What do you mean by that? I mean, totally non-attacking. That, that totally changes the dynamic, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the big, the word, I think, for me, in, in my experience, that has been um, such a flashpoint is that word privilege, um, mm-hmm. which I'm totally guessing is in your dictionary. But um, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny, I was talking to, um, well, I guess I shouldn't say who, but someone very close to me who has done quite well for himself, and I'm very, you know, I'm very connected to for my whole life, and... and um, I was saying to him, well, your kids are privileged. I mean, one, because you have means, and two, because, you know, of the cultural privileges. And no, we're not, don't use that word. I worked hard. And I'm like, I'm not saying you didn't. They're two different things. You know, it's like, but yeah, but yeah. yeah. But to him, that word means something very different. And so we couldn't even have the conversation because he was, he was stuck and ready to battle on the word privilege. Yeah. 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 And it's, I mean, that's, that's, that's fascinating to me. What a great example, you know? I mean, yeah. I, I imagine that friend, yeah. if, they're peop- if they're like people I know, they might say, well, I'm blessed. What about blessed? I'm bl- this is not a, I mean, there's different words that religious folks might use to describe. Well, of course, it's like God's given us these blessings. And so... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not privileged. It's just fascinating. Like the, the, the richness and the scope of the conversations we could be having is just really breathtaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. that's the optimistic part of it is like once people get into this, I mean, there's no end to it and it's really productive stuff. I mean, I've, I've just fallen in love with my dialogue partners. I'm a conservative boy from Utah and my best friends are atheists, Marxists, gay activists, you know, <laughs> <laughs> who, who think my beliefs are kind of quaint and strange, but it doesn't matter as much when, when you find that empathy and respect you mentioned at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And th- and that's it. And so so on that note, you know, this dictionary comes at a very interesting time because it comes two weeks after uh, the end of a very divisive and brutal and we- and weary making election. And for uh, you have no idea how you voted, but for, for many of the country and from more, my perspective in San Francisco and California, I mean, there's a ton of fear about one, what's going to happen to our system of government and our constitutional protections, and two, what's going to happen to my friends who are Latino or Muslim, or you know, and three, why are people threatening each other in front of my face? Like, like, like so. There's all this divisiveness, and and we that election, and that's you know my perspective. Obviously, yours is very different, I'm sure, but 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 that election was just the 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 quintessential example of we are not talking to each other. And not only that, like we, we are pitted against each other in a sense. And that is, it's, it's just the antithesis of what I think the United States was supposed to be. And so, yeah, yeah, so this dictionary, 
you know, seems to come at a good time. Uh, but, you know, so 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 I don't know if you want to talk about the election a little bit and then how you hope the dictionary plays into this this phenomena that we're experiencing in our country. Sure. I mean, I resonate quite a bit with what you're saying. I was a never, never Trump conservative. <laughs> and I was appalled the night of the election um, in ways that overlap with my progressive friends, but certainly differ. I mean, I didn't feel the level of concern that my Muslim dear mm-hmm. friends feel, you know, um, have some friends who were really just terrified of, of things he said and words he used that I think people didn't take him seriously. Like we didn't really think he could become president. So like there's, there was a lot of uncertainty about, could that really happen? You know, and, and he was pretty promiscuous in his use of words and language and weaponized, weaponized words. So I think there's in the uncertainty about what's possible, what I've seen in conversation is there's just fear and, and um, has really been heavy for a lot of people and, and anger as well. So, I mean, my experience, we, we had a Utah Citizen Summit the week and after the election. And we just told everybody, look, whatever you're feeling, no matter what you're feeling, it's welcome here. We are here to listen and explore this. And we could tell by the end of the day that, you know, it's not like these conversations solve everything and you walk out the door like, oh, the world is great. Right, exactly. (laughs) But (laughs) But but there's a big difference between no hope and some hope. You know, as as a mental health professional researcher myself, you know, I studied Prozac in my dissertation, and when people feel no hope, I mean, that's a completely different phenomenological experience than some hope. Mm-hmm. So there, this work of really sitting in our discomfort and hearing out, and it is uncomfortable. It's not like, it's not like going to a spa. It's like sitting in that discomfort with the contradictions in our communities is uncomfortable. It's more like meditation. I teach uh, uh, a meditation class, mindfulness-based stress reduction. And, you know, I don't, I don't get people to come to our class by saying, it's so fun. Just come and meditate. It's so fun. No, no, no. It's hard. (laughs) It's the hardest work in the world. John Kabat-Zinn says, but people do it because we know what it does for our bodies and our minds and our hearts. I, I, I hope we can get to that point for our body politic. I think we, as communities, as neighbors, desperately need to do this for the, the civic fabric. Yeah. You know, to reweave the civic fabric, as Liz Joyner says. Like, it, it's a life and death issue for me. And I, I, I share um, your deep c- concerns about, you know, what it means to have our, uh, a man who openly flaunted and uh, betrayed some of the basic norms of decency, mm-hmm. uh, elevated to the highest office of the land, it's for sure it will normalize even more some of the kinds of ways of talking and treating each other that, that are tearing us down. My hope is that it will also push people who are hungry for generous conversation together. You know, like sort of the best of times and worst of times things where I think there's going to be growing aggression rhetorically, verbally, emotionally, and 
there's going to be growing numbers who say, I don't want that. That's not, that's not what I want. I don't want to wake up in the morning and have the first thing I read to be the latest insult mm-hmm. in our capital, you know? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the way I relate, and I'm going to only check the news at lunch. This is actually one thing I've decided to do. <laughs> I'm not, not going to wake up to, you know, to this. I'm not going to go to bed to this. I'm going to check in the middle of the day and a certain amount of time, and then I'm going to live my life. And, you know, I've, I've decided to do that because I, I've got three little boys at home and I want to be present in my family. So anyway, the, the silver lining for me is that thoughtful, good-hearted people can come together and they have already come together. And, and I'm talking about people across all the differences, religious, non-religious. And there's still so, so many people that are revolted by the insults and the aggression and want something better that I, I still think we can, can have some good things happen. Yeah, it's funny. I'm I'm right there with you. I uh, you know though there's there's a lot of you know at the beginning despair and uh, I wasn't necessarily I, I had a feeling it might happen that way, but it was still shocking. And um, the very next day after the election, I happened to interview someone you know, John Gable at All Sides, and oh, yeah. you know he's so incredible that I walked out of that interview like really up, you know, like oh I'm so hopeful now we can handle this. And, <laughs> And I walked out to like three of my students, one of them who was like almost crying. And I'm like, oh, that's right. This just happened. Okay, let me take care of you. And um, and um, there were, you know, there were, it was, so it was really interesting how just a conversation with John Gable about about the possibilities of, you know, working with and, 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 and part of part of the conversation involved, you know, it's like, well, at least we know now, you know what I mean? It, like, at, le- at least there's more awareness. And w- with awareness, there's opportunity. I mean, you, I agree with you. I think normalizing, it, it can only happen. I mean, that's what happens. It's, it, you know, this is what we have, it's going to be normalized in some sense. But there's also this awareness that we didn't have before. And with that, yeah. you know, it, it, you know, the all sides dictionary and village square and civity and living room conversations and, and other other efforts of this type are you know are now finally like this is the moment for us to do this work and to convince and to get people uh into the fold uh you know and, and that's why i think the all sides dictionary coming out when it did is is actually you know quite appropriate mm, love it i love it uh, it makes me want to take all of the um episodes and like thematize them and like showcase them throughout the dictionary because because we, we we really want the dictionary to be um aggregating some of the most hopeful dialogue text as well meaning uh audio video written text that kind of prepares the way for for conversation so oh, we can talk about that but john gable oh wow he's he's like walking prozac you know he is. Like when he <laughs> i don't know if you was he in person with you because he's in san francisco he right? was he came to the studio I mean, his whole body like writhes and moves yes. as he talks about this. He's so excited and just such a great leader. And I've had the privilege to work with Joan Blades and Liz Joyner and um, and meet so many great people with the National Coalition of Dialogue and Deliberation. There really is so much hope in this work, you know, like yeah. like sort of like, no, it can't be so terrible if these kinds of people exist and we can find such affection across our deepest disagreements. I wrote a book a number of years ago with my friend Phil Nicer, uh, who doesn't see the world the way I do. He's atheist, Marxist, and I'm certainly neither of those. Well, the title of our book is You're Not As Crazy As I Thought, But You're Still Wrong. You know, like we still, 
you know, we still don't see the world the same way, but it just, it, and, and it matters on some level, but on another level, I mean, he's just one of my dearest friends and we talk about anything. Yeah. And, you know, part of me wonders if Americans could have at least one person that they could talk about all the things they, 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 they disagree about and um, are concerned about and fearful about. I just think, for me at least, it's been so therapeutic that it just it takes away so much of my fear and the negativity. Um, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I, I'm the same way. It's like I lean left. I'm, I'm fairly middle of the road, but I definitely lean left. And I uh, have a few childhood friends who are, you know, quite conservative, Christian, um, and, and we do our best – I wish we had, I mean, we do sometimes have deep conversations, but we do our best to talk to each other. In fact, I have one of them who lives in Texas and during the primaries way back when she's got three kids, she was dealing with a lot of, she had a lot of projects, a lot of things going on. So I, I went to visit her and, and she's like, look, I'm going to vote for the Republican Gina. Just tell me which one to vote for, you know, and I was like, because she trusts me, you know, she, she, tell me about them, tell me which one to vote for. And so I, you know, she trusts me enough to know that I've been paying attention and I'm not going to lead her astray. And, um, I, I just I love I love that that we have you know and I think and you're right I think everybody needs those people in their lives because we've got to be able to talk to each other and understand each other and and you know what a boring world if we all agreed I think yeah I mean it, yeah amen amen sister Gina and everyone needs them and people don't have them I yeah. mean I, I honestly have seen in my own community that most conservative neighbors and friends and family do not have someone. Mm-hmm who's progressive that they have the, these kind of conversations with. And so when I approach my neighbors and say, Hey, you want to have a living room conversation anytime, any night, any topic, you pick the person um, that you want to do this with. And I'll support you for free, you know, like sort of like an, a dream. You know, like, yeah. I'm going to help you have a good experience. People were scared. Oh. They, they turned me down. So, so this is again, I've decided we, we need to stop pretending like this, is fun for everyone and we need to acknowledge this is hard work it can be scary it messes with tribal dynamics Mm -hmm. and it is totally worth it it's worth it on the level of health of our own individuals and our body politic it's worth it and we do it and we can do it um i share some of the many fears that people are having and and with this election and i i'm searching for uh, you know, uh, any other ways we can support this this community, this very small community of folks that's doing this. Joan calls them our domestic peacemaking force, sort of like <laughs> the loving and the loaf, right? Yes. <laughs> People who can at least go back to the communities and we can like in, inject a little bit of, of this kind of generosity wherever we are, San Francisco, Salt Lake City, Tallahassee. And I think there are implications for whether that happens or not. I you know, if there are no safety valves, um, I think there will be aggression that turns into violence. Yeah. You know, the, the verbal, emotional stuff. So um, this does feel, it feels very much beyond just like a little nice project where we're trying to help each other feel good. It's very practical for our democracy and you know, that's that's a great point. I, I hadn't considered it quite that way, but we do or we ha- there is a sense in the U.S. of, hey, enjoy yourself. Come on. This is going to be great. And 
And you are absolutely right. You know, this is, the, you know, and I think maybe the that that's also part of the awareness that we've got now. Um, just how powerful language is and how important it is to understand each other and talk with each other. You you mentioned earlier uh, about uh, our new president-elect and the weaponization of language. And that's another way to handle language. Like, you can handle language by... Uh, through empathy and connection and tr striving to understand, or you can use language to weaponize and to manipulate and, and, right. and disseminate propaganda. And the efforts, I'm not trying to take the hope away, I promise. I'm just exploring. Okay. So <laughs> the, the, you know, the person who can weaponize the language has the, the large-scale media at his disposal right now. And the, the people, you and me and others, who are trying to um, you know, bridge divides and create empathy and understanding, it's a one-to-one -one grassroots, you know, on the ground effort, and it, and it takes longer, and it and it, you know, it's it's not as quick. And 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 honestly, a mass media dissemination of this would probably not land in the same way. Yeah. Uh, you know, but but um, but I think you know, creating tools such as the Allside's Dictionary and doing this work is definitely worthwhile but i'm curious uh, your thoughts about how you might how you might push this out uh to people and 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 get more people into the fold oh, here i love your question and i i'm curious to hear more of your thoughts when you say a mass media dissemination wouldn't work i'm feeling sure. the same thing right now and I, I i don't know the answer but i've been talking to john Gable and Liz Joyner about this. It's like the you know the negative negativity bias in the brain, where where any threat we we just glom onto and we see, and like anything negative, it can be like Velcro in the brain. Rick Hansen is a is a neuroscientist, mm -hmm. and versus good stuff or more like Teflon. Our brain just doesn't. It takes more to really grasp. But there's got to be some way to package this work i i believe to to reach more people i mean i i think there's still so many stereotypes about this that w what is it that this is about well i think many people still think it's about like well let's not step on each other's toes let's just be nice let's check our passions and our convictions at the door don't get too passionate mm -hmm. let's try to be more moderate mm -hmm. let's all come uh, agree to compromise let's all agree that your beliefs are just as equally valid as mine and you know like all that is sends people away screaming they don't want to do that yeah that, that 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 feels but if they understood how rigorous the space this was and how you can talk about anything and how you can be frustrated you can be fearful and you can actually have someone listen instead of just venting so um we're in the middle of a conversation of like what kind of packaging could really um Get more, more cachet because you know, like an, a celebrity insults. The, the latest insult is front page news. You know, like oh, you know, someone insulted someone else, and we're just like morbidly fascinated by that. Yeah. What does it take to to what's the Aikido move where we take some of that negativity or the or the stuff that just is always out there and we we redirect it. I think there's still more we we have to learn about it because if you look at the major dialogue efforts, their social media footprint is very small. It's like in the order of a couple thousand people right. for most organizations, with the exception of National Institute for Civic Discourse. Tea Party has a um, 
coffee party has a very large group, but that that kind of was a they focus on dialogue stuff as well. Um, but I'd love to find uh, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts even before we're done on like what is the package that get draws more attention than we currently have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't have the answers either, and I think it's a challenge. Um, I think, one, um, I'm really excited and happy that the conversations are being had about journalism and the responsibility of journalism. I'm a journalist by trade, and it is frustrating to see major journalism outlets place clickbait those insulting, you know, stories above, you know, the prioritize those above stories we need to hear. Um, And also have an understanding of sort of what we have time for and how to package the information so that people can get it. I remember, you know, before really the internet, or I guess it was, it was there, but it wasn't what it is. I applied for some TV news, TV producer job in San Diego, and there was a news director. I got the job, but went somewhere else. But the news director said, um, you know, TV was never meant to be where we got all in inf- all our information. It was supposed to be the highlights from the day, and you would go back to the newspaper to find the details. And he said, "But oh, interesting. yeah, but what you know? What obviously what happened is people would only read the you know not read the newspaper and only watch the TV news, and they would only get these headlines or highlights or or you know if it bleeds it leads, etc. And so even in the era of TV, people started moving away from this uh, thoughtful perusal of the news and 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 pulling information in and then of course as we're busy we're not talking to each other about the news hey i read this here's my perspective oh my perspective's different those discussions somehow stopped happening and then you know when the internet came you know how exactly are people using the internet how are they getting their information and are we packaging the information in a way that fits that i mean we have to go where they are um i know that john gable you know mentions the idea of the echo chambers and how the internet and the the existing algorithm has exacerbated this issue so i also think you know addressing the algorithm and making sure different types of news gets in people's feeds is important um yeah yeah Yeah. but my my thoughts are there and then lastly is a more longer term thing but we need to teach media literacy and digital media literacy in elementary school we need to teach we need to actually go in and teach people how to read the news and information there was a great study that came out right after the election Uh, middle schoolers were asked to look at news online 80 percent of them couldn't tell fake news from real news and thought that sponsored content was real news when it's actually commercials um, wow. that's horrifying. And so yeah. to me, that's like, okay, we need to go there too. And we need to be teaching literacies, media literacy, digital media literacy, uh, critical assessment. Um, if, if we've got a whole generations of people who never learned that, then we, you know, obviously through our organizations, we're trying to teach that as well. But, um, but we need to start it. earlier. That's, that's where I'm at. I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> I would love to be in conversation with you about this very point. And, and let me just invite you. Um, I'd love to take whatever other, you know, I don't, uh, your, your archives of these kinds of conversations sure. and, and thread them into the dictionary by topic, right? Oh, that'd so be great. We had a conversation about guns because we want to model and, and feature and say, no, okay, you've just heard these different, um, the different meanings. Here's an example of somebody actually having this kind of a conversation you can listen to. So if somebody's scared, which I'm finding most people are to do this, they can, they can do it by proxy, by listening in, and that we're highlighting and featuring. I almost wish we could have some 
rating system of, of different websites and the degree to which they do this or different podcasts and like, like yeah. highlight the ones that are doing it well, like Krista Tippett's on being, you know, yeah. Uh, examples like what you're doing and Krista and, and let the cream that rises to the top, like share that around. At least that's, that's one thing we're trying to do with the dictionary is aggravating and collecting really wonderful examples that oh. we can I think that's an incredibly, incredibly worthwhile effort. Um, I, and I'm also pleased to see Chrome extension, you know, extensions for your browser on uh, how to tell fake news from real. And I, and also uh, what you're talking about, aggregating in, uh, content that is worthwhile, you know, and pushing that. I think that's, that's incredible work. Um, so we have come up, we're just about here at the end of our, of our time together, and it's been wonderful to talk with you. Um, is there anything you want to say that I didn't ask you you think it's important to get out there before we wrap up today? Uh, just the bottom line for me, Gina, is that thoughtful, good-hearted people disagree on pretty much everything. I mean, like, pretty much. Not <laughs> and once, people, once we realize that, um, life gets a lot calmer. Then, then it becomes really curious and fascinating. Yeah. yeah. That's a great point, setting the expectation from the start. We're going to disagree, and that's okay. And then we can do it. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Well, we have been talking today on This Is Civity Radio Show with Jacob Hess, director of The Village Square, and we've been discussing the All Sides Dictionary and how to engage with each other and truly start to understand and bridge divides. Uh, this is This Is Civity Radio Show. Civity helps people in communities build a culture of respect and empathy across difference. Our interviews explore how people across the country and the world are doing this in their communities. Jacob, so, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure to have you. Uh-huh. Pleasure's mine, Gina. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great week, everyone. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 